Hello and welcome. You are listening to Navigating the Metaverse, where we interview trailblazers in the NFT and metaverse space who share their insider advice for how to do business in the Web 3.0 era. Your hosts are Tommaso DiBartolo and Kathy Hackle, and this series is brought to you by Upland and Decrypt Media, your go-to media source for demystifying Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the decentralized web. By the way, did you know that you can buy, sell, and trade virtual land inside of Upland, the metaverse that is mapped to the real world? People love it because Upland is so much more than a game. Uplanders earn real money by running so-called meta-ventures where they sell virtual goods, aka NFTs, to others. Even better, a super engaged and helpful community helps newcomers to make first steps in this dynamic and fast-growing metaverse a lot of fun. You can download Upland on iOS or Android or enter it on the web by using the referral link in the show notes. Grab your special sign-up bonus of 6,000 UpX today and start rebuilding the world with others. With that being said, enjoy today's episode. And we are live. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are tuning in from. We have an amazing lineup today again for uh, this uh, current episode of the Metaverse Economy. I'm always humbled to be joined by my dear colleague and the godmother of the Metaverse, Katie Hackle. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Always excited. I never get used to being called the godmother of the Metaverse. I still <laughs> laugh at it when I mention it myself. But uh, but hey, it, it it's sticking. It's sticking. So um, yeah, I was I was given the name by a friend that works at Nike's Metaverse team, and uh, I sent him a big uh, basket of. Uh, fruits and wine and cheese to thank him because it's it's stuck so there you go that's amazing Keith. and you know with my sicilian roots you know it's never good to say well i'm doing with the godmother does it with the godfather right it's misunderstood yeah. so you know i'll avoid that kathy but it's amazing today to have here doro khan and uh, mehmet murad and garrett so doro khan goes with Dorok and mehmet murad today with murad and garrett which i would like to introduce here real quick before we start our round of initial questions. We have uh, Garrett Minks, Chief Technology Officer at Rare Technologies, a blockchain-based digital rights management platform that uses NFT to gate access to streaming content. Garrett, so great to have you today here on this uh, media outlet on this podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me on, Tommaso. Doro Khan Akar Doruk uh, is board member, executive committee member, and chief treasurer at the Galatasaray, the only European Cup winner football in Turkey, holding the highest number of Turkish League Cups. Go Galatasaray. By the way, I was in one of your games. That's amazing, the spirit in a stadium that Galatasaray has. <laughs> so you won uh, UEFA Cup and UEFA Super Cup in 2000. And in this episode, Storok will talk about the NFTs deals with brands on the market without mentioning your son. But I'm very curious to pick your brain on, on your experience there, Storok. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure being here, guys. Fantastic. And we have Murat Crystal, is Director of Center of Excellence in Big Data and Analytics Leadership at Schulich School of Business, York University. He has numerous publications in print, an analyst pioneering Canada, an accomplished researcher, and recognized as top 40 under 40 professor. Murat, so great to have you today on the show. 
Thank you very much for having me, Tommaso. And now I am really curious to pick your brain on the metaverse economy. And I would like actually to start with the, a very generic question and say metaverse and economy. What does it mean to you? What's the economy like in the metaverse? Who would like to take this uh, first? Maybe Murad, what are your thoughts on this? I was hoping that you would go to Kathy, but uh, given that she's the godmother, but I'll, 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 I'll start. I think what we are seeing is going to be the biggest shopping mall ever built on a virtual space. So with the metaverse economy, we are seeing, if you think about a REIT investment that has the shopping malls and all these physical structures is now slowly being moved into the internet. And the difference between the current internet that is two-dimensional, the metaverse is bringing to three-dimensional experience where me and Doruk will be able to put the glasses on in a way and then go buy a Galatasaray scarf well, he is in Istanbul and I'm in, in, in Toronto. And the funny thing is that we will be doing this in Metaverse. So who's the biggest property owner? It's going to be the Metaverse will become the biggest property owner in the world without even putting a single con concrete or a single thing on the ground. That's how I see how Metaverse is shaping the world. So shopping mall plus immersive experience. Garrett, what do you think about the economy with the link to being a shopping mall and, ex and experience? Well, I, I certainly hope the things that they're selling are, are <laughs> NFTs, of course. I, I hope that they're selling serial numbers that can't be taken away from you that aren't owned by Facebook. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I think there's, uh, there's varying levels of, of quality in things that can be sold in the metaverse. And the highest quality thing that you can have is something that's carved into a shared rock on the internet that is the blockchain. So I really hope that the two sort of merge together nicely uh, and that the underlying infrastructure and rails that power the metaverse are actually owned by individual people and not by giant private, you know, sort of data sucking uh, intermediaries. <laughs> Just. One, one man spot. I'm with you, no, Garrett. I'm with you. I'm with you. And we're definitely going to get into that in a little bit. So so basically, ownership by individuals slash decentralization. We are hearing here a shopping mall with a new experience moving into, into Web 3.0, right? Infrastructure. Uh, Dorok, you have been running a series of not only experiments, right? Um, you have also, you run your own um, uh, platform called the Play Arena, right? What are What is your learning so far in terms of the, the economy? What makes the economy Web 3.0? What, what's your take on that? This is hugely exciting, first of all. Like um, uh, the, the pace of things, you know, changing. And when, when this blockchain came out as a technology and a ledgering system and we could only imagine a few digital assets. I mean, then things started shaping up further and further and further uh, and eventually 
especially the industry that I'm in, because I served in the Galatasaray board from 2018 to 2021 May. And on the sports side, things really got revolutionized around that time from 2019 onwards uh, with fan tokens followed by NFTs, followed them by the NBA Top Chef, etc., etc. And we were really the, the, the pioneers of that. And I was seeing like, wow, what's going on? Um, because, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrencies, then the utilities tokens, which are then fungible or non-fungible going to NFTs, then even moving to security tokens. And, you know, before this world has already like concluded, because we are talking about like, maybe you know less than one percent of the tokenizable assets that are actually tokenized now we have this uh, three-dimensional web where we are actually creating a gigantic outlet uh, for all of these plus more um so it's it's unbelievably exciting i'm like great and you know you know when you talk about or think of the utility tokens either fungible or non-fungible I, we think of traditional utilities initially, right? And then you come to entertainment utilities. And this gives so much freedom uh, to the creatives because like I have, so I have three heads, right? I'm, I'm a management consultant where I do the, you know, the academic, you know, DeFi, et cetera, et cetera part. Combined with a film producer, combined with, you know, a gaming entrepreneur. And in, in each three, the implementations are, Unbelievable. So like film production wise, if you look at also linking to what Garrett said, you know, uh, post COVID, especially with the, uh, you know, the lockdowns and so forth, the uh, feature films are, are like kind of stuck. I mean, not the major studios because they're still funding. But if you talk of the mini majors and the indies, I, uh, you're funding most of your life through box office and, and VOD. Now, uh, since the box office is a gigantic question mark, you can't fund yourself. So this then, you know, the only option is knock the door off one of the VODs and then you lose your creative touch. So, you know, they cut all of your wings left, right and center and then say, okay, I want you to shoot this. So you're kind of like a t-shirt manufacturer for a you know, massive brand and you get a you know, minuscule portion and you produce, you know, made to print. Uh, so now uh, with this, you're free. Uh, so um, I'm in the process of tokenizing one through direct NFTs, one through uh, a utility token combined with NFTs. Uh, a franchise that I had in Turkey called Wolf uh, is, is now being tokenized. Plus, I'm, I'm, to fully, I'm trying to fully fund a feature film uh, through, through YouTube tokens, which is also a franchise. But I can talk about the sports aspect if you guys have questions. But like a beautifully exciting space for all of us. I agree, Daruk, and I feel Garrett is wanting to get in there and talk a little bit about the ownership of these new assets. So I actually have a question for each one of you, and I'm going to start with Garrett, um, then we're going to Daruk, and then to Murat. Uh, but Garrett, when it, in, in playing off of what, uh, what was just said, right, about content creation and how it's been monetized differently, you know, who made the money in the past, who makes the money in the future, with the work you guys are doing, I mean, you guys are one of the, to me, personally, one of the most interesting solutions out there for what's about to come, right? When it comes to not only the creators benefiting and, 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 and having that, but also for the community to have stake and ownership in something, right? And also the management of rights and, and, and proof, right? That something that you actually bought something, that you actually own something, that someone actually created something, right? Which has been a huge issue in Web 2.0. 
So what are, yeah, talk us a little bit more about what you're doing and how you're seeing that evolution of, of ownership in essence. Certainly. Well, it is very much a direct distribution model. So, you know, rather than going through one of these kind of fang intermediaries, it really is kind of, you know, your website.com. We've sort of seen, I guess, the um, uh, prior iterations of this. Maybe the first time I saw this was when Louis C.K. put his like stand-up special out and you could spend the $5 and just buy it directly on his website. So a similar model. Um, but here, um, every time somebody clicks the button to buy something, we programmatically split all of the royalties nicely on chain. Uh, and we can do all sorts of amazing and interesting new things like with the uh, project we're working on. There's a charity that gets a direct uh, sort of programmatic distribution basically creates an annuity for them for all time, not just on initial sale, but also on resale. That's something really awesome to actually create a long tail on a perpetual royalty uh, for creators. Um, and, you know, really you, you establish the rules of the system at the beginning of the project. So if you want to sell 10,000 copies of your, of your future film or a million or whatever those rules are, you set them up and then the, uh, the contracts uh, will automatically execute that uh, really for all time. So it's, it's pretty great to, uh, I don't think we've really been able to do this before where you really can stand up your own little miniature Netflix in a box or kind of studio in a box and uh, keep the lion's share of the, of the revenues for yourself. Uh, and actually with sort of a, a DRM component, uh, make sure that the people who bought the tokens are the ones that watch it. And then when they transfer it to the next person, the next person can watch it, uh, et cetera. So uh, it, it is it is exciting, I think, to finally get kind of a premium sort of distribution model back uh, directly controlled mm -hmm. by the creators. Yeah, I feel like it's it's this new opportunity for creators to truly benefit um, and to get for people to get paid for their creations in a more much more honest and authentic way. Um, so I'm very excited about that. So Derek, I kind of want to go over to you now. Um, when you were talking a lot about the work you're doing, both in film and in sports, the one thing that I'm really interested in when it comes to kind of your perspective here is the future of fandom, right? Because fandom doesn't only happen in sports. Fandom happens in music, happens in arts, happens in all sorts of entertainment. So what are your thoughts on the future of fandom and like how how does that evolve in web two in web 3.0 from from web 2.0 to web 3.0 absolutely i think that's the the key question because in addition to what Gary said and i totally agree with every single point of it there's this fan engagement component and when we talk about the entertainment industry you can put sports in it so if we talk about 15 sub segments you know digital publishing books music film etc and and sports i mean you're a fan and then with these digital assets we are able to give our fans their voice so they can actually choose, you know, the opening scene, the closing scene. Uh, they can vote for like which underscore music they want. You know, they can do a meet and greet. They can, you know, come to backstage. They can even like one of like one of the value propositions that I put in one of the NFTs is you actually get to name a character in the series. And then this year it's going to be his name and you can choose his or her name. You can choose the protagonist or the antagonist. And then next season, you can actually choose out of the people that I propose to you who you want to act as that character. So it could be your late father, it could be your you know firstborn son who is now one, whatever. You just name anyone uh, or your name if you're like a narcissist, let's say. Uh, so at the end of the day, this fandom, the fan engagement in all these industries, uh, we're still like relatively distant. Like when you think of sports. Fine, we all love a sports team, uh, but like only 50, 60, 70,000 people can actually you know, access that stadium to watch 
you know, those people lie. Uh, and even their voice, like when you're sitting there, like, I would have done this. Like, you can actually say that you would have done this now. So that's why this fan engagement is a whole new planet. And these digital assets not only are giving us like our freedom per se, uh, plus they make us really connect with our fans uh, and both ways. So it's, 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 it's not a, like a monologue, but a dialogue uh, with these people. And that's the most exciting part, actually. Um, so, and then, you know, this is still like the digital asset component. Now, the three-dimensional web and how that interaction is going to be there is, is a whole other you know, space where you can actually, you know, create that same franchise in, in, in that space as well. So it's kind of, I totally agree with Murat when he said that this is like a gigantic shopping mall. It's gigantic plateau. It could be a city. It could be... I don't know, somewhere in Mars. Uh, but overall, I think that whole fan engagement uh, is going to change our life uh, as, as a producer, as a gaming company, you know, entrepreneur, plus uh, an ex, uh, you know, current sports fan, ex-sports executive, let's say. Okay, Metaverse Nation, great news. If you're enjoying this episode, you'll love our book. Written by our lovely co-hosts and industry leaders in the NFT and metaverse space, we published an in-depth guide for how to succeed in the new Web 3.0 environment. How can you as a brand or a company capitalize on the momentum? How are others doing it? We demystify the industry and potential for you. The link to the book is listed in the show notes, or you can simply look for the Navigating the Metaverse book on Amazon or visit our website at themetaversebook.me. But let's get back to the show. Yeah. No, I think that that's, that's extremely valid. So I want to move over to Murad and, and talk a little bit about, you know, you talked about the shopping mall, right? Um, we've all heard the phrase, data is the new oil or whatever, right? Like data is, it, what is, in your perspective, since this is kind of your, your, your expertise, what is the role that data plays in Web 3.0? Because it played a huge role in Web 2.0, right? Mm-hmm. What is the role that it plays in Web 3.0? Well, if, he, if you go with the shopping mall example, now we have even uh, Teslas that are sold in the shopping malls, right? So let's say that you're a customer. Would you like to walk through the shopping mall corridor where you have a Tesla on one hand and Peloton on another hand? Or would you like to walk through a corridor where you have high-end sh- uh, dressing or whatever that you are going to have, right? The data about me will actually help me with which, from which door that I will get into that shopping mall, which products that I will be seeing. Even within each shop, you are going to be, they will be able to create their offerings according to, to my individual needs. Mm-hmm. And this will have, I mean, the last mile delivery is a big problem for a lot of people that are selling their products, right? And on top of it, which we don't talk, is the returns. Mm-hmm. That is also reverse supply chain is a big problem for a lot of retailers. So what you want to do as a retailer is that when you sell your product, you want the customer to keep that product rather than to return to you, right? 
Well, if you're doing this online shopping and if this is curated to me and if the data and the metaverse is enabling that to give me the experience of trying all of these things and then making a 100% decision that I like this versus, hey, let me just order it and if I don't like it, I'll just ship it back to them because they send it with the shipping label. The amount of cost reduction there is very significant. Mm -hmm. So it is targeting me, it's giving me the products that I want, and I'm going to keep it. Yeah. All of and a sudden, you have three efficiencies there. Yeah. And what are your thoughts around with the blockchain enabling people to some in some way have ownership of their data again, right? In, in mm -hmm. some ways, some of that. How do you think that's going to change how the brands that are targeting these people in the mall are, are going to... How is that... How is, how is that you know, there's the brand, there's the data, there's a consumer, That's there's the place where they go shop. How is that data ownership process going to change? Because um, I'm, I'm really interested in that perspective as well. And well I, the, and data is your, the data is your data, right? That's, that, that's the thing. But how you're going to allow them to use your data and at what pricing? So all of a sudden... The loyalty card kind of a concept. Just think about your data as a part of your loyalty card. You are, instead of collecting points, maybe within your data loyalty program, where you allow companies to use your data to do their AI algorithms, so on and so forth, you're going to start earning points, which will then in return get back to you as a discount or something like that. If you don't want to do that, at least you're going to have the opportunity to say no at the same time. And that gives the control to the consumer, which is great, right? For certain products, you might want them to use, use your data. And for certain products, you want your privacy. As long as, as the end user, you have that option, that's a great thing for the end user. I love I love it, Murad. I want to double click on that because I think this is very, very, very valuable for the economy. There is no economy without data, right? And in Web mm -hmm. Pseudo, though, right, the the, the data was uh, driving the business model from from an ads perspective, right? And we were penetrated and bombarded, right? So that we almost did not have any chance to really filter what we want, right? Now you're saying. It allows us, the consumer, right, to give access rights to our, let's call it data wallets, maybe, right, and share this, but only a if we agree, right, and 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 b if uh, if we get maybe something in return? Question mark Is this is this a, in a in a in a a line of of reasoning, Murat? What do you think? I mean. It, it some kind of a benefit, right? Like that yeah. benefit might be, in, in, in certain cases, it might be for the greater good of the population or the society mm -hmm. where you give access to them because you know that they are doing something that is going to benefit everyone in a positive way. And then you allow them to do that. Or for some uh, brands that you love, you give access to them because you want to collect uh, points because you, you know that you're going to shop there anywhere. And some for certain things, you're going to be saying, hey, it's my privacy. Thank you very much. But no, thank you very much. I mean, this is what's happening. Like we, we started to see this with the security settings of your phones, right? I mean, this is, it's going to be in steroids, how these things will play out in metaverse. 
but it is giving the control. At the same time, what will be very interesting is how companies will start creating workarounds around this and the monetization and the tokenization of your free will. So data against a reward that could be intrinsic or extrinsic, right? Very, very yes. interesting. Uh, Garrett, um, in, in your line of business, you are um, mentioning authentication as a, as, a, as a credential layer through non-fungible tokens. Walk us through a use case slash an industry maybe, right? For us to get a, a clear picture on how this application would work and what problem it would solve. Certainly. So um, what we're trying to do is leverage the sort of NFT transparent blockchain layer for what it's good for, which is a really, really secure and, and uh, uh, stable place to prove that you own something or don't own something. I mean, really, this started all the way with Bitcoin. Why is Bitcoin valuable? I have one and you don't. You have one and I don't. I can transfer it to you. And now we all agree uh, that, that 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 happens. So I think what NFTs allow you to do is this really interesting new thing, which is expand that uh, and now have the same kind of uh, security uh, and technology, uh, but then uh, use, and Bitcoin doesn't do this, but you know, on Ethereum, other places you can, uh, use this new token that you've created to go do uh, interesting things. Um, and what we do with it is we unlock these um, uh, encrypted streams. Uh, and uh, there is this kind of interesting um, uh, duality going on where we have an extremely transparent kind of base layer. So anybody can go look on the blockchain to see what NFTs you own, when they traded around. It's actually kind of frightening from a transparency standpoint. If you want to find all of the wealthy people in the NFT space and what they own, it's very easy to scrape and do that. And in fact, even without their consent, you can airdrop them things. So there's a lot of kind of uh, That's going true. on in that. And that transparent layer. But on top of that, um, you can then have this, this more interesting private gated layer. And I think it's the interplay of those two, which is really the future, because you don't want every single thing that you're doing to be transparent. But on your permanent record, you do want, you know, uh, kind of interesting provenance and authenticity history. Uh, and that's exactly what NFTs are good for. So really, we just, uh, uh, through a nice little encryption uh, system that we've developed, uh, basically check uh, on the blockchain directly that you that you own uh, the correct NFT. And then if you own it, it will, it will stream you whatever that product is inside of our uh, kind of uh, uh, database system. So a uh, perfect use case would be uh, releasing an album, releasing a feature film, um, podcast. It, uh, basically, you would have a very uh, premium uh, and, uh, and credentialed way of sort of getting your product out into the market. And I think a much more um, uh, high quality way than maybe like a Patreon or a Kickstarter type thing, um, because you're not just going on Vimeo and sharing some password that people can share around, right? You, you wouldn't share your private key. So uh, using this kind of system is actually a much more um, uh, secure one-to-one -one way of actually uh, getting content out to people. It kind of reminds me, Garrett, from a description when when the when the subscription business kicked off, and then it was you know everybody was talking about cloud computing and software as a service, right? And it became basically this new business model of subscribing to almost anything, right? You had always two ways of looking at building your business on subscription, which which was 
on one hand, do you build your entire infrastructure and the logic behind it and the, and the complexity of the subscription you know, provisioning, deprovisioning and billing on your own, right? Mm-hmm. Or do you, do you piggyback and, and do you go instead of building it yourself from an innovation perspective and take an existing provider that has a system that you can plug in into your core functionality so that it does basically uh, the, the call it billing, provisioning, uh, uh, assessments of uh, uh, taking inventory, right? Is this kind of, do you see this for the, for the future of, of, uh, of the Web3.0? Yes, subscriptions are absolutely fascinating because the easiest thing you could do is just sell somebody a $10 movie with a token and they unlock it, fine. Um, But because of this interesting long tail and these resales and the fact that you have their address and then you can airdrop them new things, I think we're just starting to see, like, why are the board apes so valuable? Well, if you have one, you get the board kennel, et cetera. Uh, there's, There's something really interesting, I think, about having this membership access token that continues to do more cool things in the future. So you could act like on our platform, you could absolutely make an NFT, make 10,000 say seats for some TV show and then put a new episode out on that thing every week. And only if you own the token, would you have the, I mean, I think, um, what's that Neil Kunis thing? They, Stoner Cat. Oh, Stoner Cat. Yeah, kind yeah. of the first like proto proto version of that, but you know you could airdrop them things on other networks like Matic maybe, and then mm-hmm. they could have a much more scalable way of doing other cool things. Um, once you have that first list of of kind of true fans, you have their Ethereum addresses. You can do an infinite amount of cool subscription things to continue to reward them, build the community, and I mean that's really how all these these really successful NFT projects have gotten so successful. Yeah. You put in the board ape private Discord server, there's this new cool thing that launched, and next thing you know, they've sold out because uh, everybody yeah. in that group saw it. And, you know, from the community perspective, Gary, I'm going to jump in. I, I'm, a, I'm a mutant ape, and I'm a cool cat, and I'm, I'm, I'm part of a lot of these. I think it's a punk. Like, yeah, I was, oh, anyway. Um, but, like, with cool cats, for example, they, air, they airdrop me stuff all the time. And in essence, like they're putting money in my wallet. Like the, that's how I see it. It's like, oh, totally. One cool thing for, for Halloween. I don't know if I want to keep it or not. You know, and it might not be worth, you know, thousands of dollars. But if I wanted to sell it, I can. And they're giving me, you know, an added benefit as a community member. So absolutely love it. Fantastic. So. Fantastic. Uh, thank you, uh, Garrett. Doruk, in Q1, we saw also in Q2, actually, roughly the market generating in this year a billion, a billion point two in Q1, a billion point three in Q2 of NFT revenues, according to the statistic. Q3, uh, we have roughly 10 billion uh, of, of NFTs uh, generated. Q4, at least from the peers that we see on the market, is, is, is flying through the roof. So where I want to go with this is, you know, at the center of 2021, uh, there is definitely the topic of non-fungible token um, going almost mainstream, you know, from, from early adopters to early mass adoption, right? Then a couple of weeks ago, um, a, a very famous guy that run a, a very large company that, uh, that uh, takes the attention of almost 3 billion people on a daily basis said, well, let's change the name, right? And goes in direction meta. My question to you, Doric, you do film, you do sports with clubs, you have your own startup, right? So yeah. if the year 2021 was around NFT, right? 
And uh, it, it's the logical consequence that as, as soon as we get into uh, the next phase, NFT will become also uh, a regular technology like anything else. How do you see the metaverse coming big into play in 2022? Okay, so first of all, like uh, maybe uh, a step, uh, like the linkage, before the linkage to the metaverse, uh, the, the, the NFT were like this, you know, now we are early adapters, so we understand what's going on. Uh, but there is like 99.9% of, you know, the traditional filmmakers, the musicians, the book publishers, the, the, the comics books guys, you know, uh, the, the whole world out there is still like not there yet. So um, I'm seriously thinking like a major chunk uh, of this transformation is, is yet to happen. So for the NFT specifically, I think still sky's the limit. So um, because there's like, imagine the traditional things that we do have, like watches, cars, you know, luxury pants, etc., etc. And they're sold currently through like a dealer of the brand. And then, you know, the bank knows that I paid something, but they don't know what I paid for. Uh, the brand doesn't know I bought it, but then I have a paper certificate in my hand. And if I lose the box, et cetera, et cetera, right? So like this NFTing, even in the traditional economy for, you know, title deeds, you know, DME, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So those will get there. A. B, uh, the, as Garrett was mentioning, now I'm creating a fan engagement tool and then creating a few NFTs onto this franchise. But, you know, it's not the end of it. Like, I will be able to drop things for my fans or my for token holders and NFT holders, you know, continuously. And, and I, I already eventually have an existing base. And then I can give some gifts. I can really engage with them on that, on that ecosystem. Now, while these are happening, we then have the metaverse, the three-dimensional new universe, let's say. And on this universe, I can create a digital twin and start replicating all of these things at different face values, maybe, with, with you know, different logics also there. Uh, so the use case of uh, you know, the digital assets is already fantastic. And there's sky's, sky's the limit there. And then we have another, let's say, outlet of, of all of these uh, on another, let's say, planet, which is Meta. Uh, so I think we have, as a, eventually in the next five years, every sports club, every big studio, uh, you know, every big fashion brand, every big musician, every every big music producer will have a presence in, in the meta. For sure. Like, no question about that. Now people are like still trying to figure out, oh, why did X, Y, Z bought this land in that you know, versus not that. So people are like still having difficulty understanding like what's going on. Like why did this guy buy a digital yacht? Okay, some is a marketing hype, but eventually uh, these metaverses uh, will create a new space for all of us. So we'll have digital identities as individuals, companies will have digital presences, etc., etc. As what happened with the web 2.0. Uh, so, but I seriously think there's a, there's a, huge potential on the digital assets you know, outside of the meta still also for all these uh, industries that I mentioned. Fantastic. Fantastic. Gentlemen, Kathy, we could talk four hours about that, about, about the future of, of, of 
the metaverse of the NFT, right? And I like to take notes because my brain does not work yet on a blockchain. Who knows in the future, right? <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we, have, we have heard a couple of very intriguing uh, uh, lines here, right? Murat, the, the data um, will be creating rewards which go, which go either intrinsic or ex extrinsic, right? Uh, Garrett, uh, we could leverage the NFTs to unlock potential and new authentications, right? Or uh, Dorok, right? Uh, we give uh, fans a voice for special slash extended services. And uh, I like to wrap up on, on your very last sentence, Dorok, that you said, okay, in the future businesses, everybody will have a presence in, uh, in, in the metaverse, right? So question to the audience here is, What is your plan to be in the metaverse? And now I would like to um, travel with me, uh, mentally at least, right? And uh, picture the year 2030, a couple of years down the road. Garrett, how does the world look like in the metaverse? Well, I would, I, I, would prefer, I would prefer Garrett to answer, what does your company do in 2030? Oh, okay. Because that might be easier for everyone because we're so, like, we all know what our, what our, you know, what our potential, the future potential of our companies is. Fantastic. So I would love to know, like, what do you see your company doing in 2030? Certainly. Well, I hope that we have 10,000 little mini metaverses out there, all actually controlled and owned by the creators who get the vast majority of the distribution. Possibly the fangs are still kind of the, uh, you know, not the bottom of the barrel, but like it's the general, like, you know, the mainstream distribution, but for all kind of premium monetization, uh, we kind of, I mean, currently, I guess you go to the physical concert Uh, or you go to a physical movie theater. Uh, I think we have the potential to recreate whatever that authentic premium experience is uh, with uh, metaverse NFTs. And uh, we would like to be the ones powering that with our infrastructure. Uh, so that way the world doesn't just have like three companies, but they have like thousands and thousands uh, and it's distributed and not just owned by like seven people. That would be amazing. So that's that's what we would like by 2030 to have 10, at least 10,000 little mini metaverses. Uh, we also unlock our software with NFTs. So it's sort of a meta DRM. So get our NFTs that sort of unlock our, our software out into the world at scale. So 2030, and Garrett says, we have 10,000 mini metaverses taking notes. Boom, now it's on a blockchain. We'll, we'll review that in 2030. Dorok, entertainment, maybe the question, entertainment by 2030, what's your vision there? I'll be in part of these 10,000 metaverses of Garrett's actually. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I see no other way around. Like eventually, yes, we'll still physically shoot the movies, yes, there'll be physical actors, etc., etc. but I'm, like, almost certain, I cannot say 100%, there's still, you know, uh, the uncertainty, but I'm almost certain we'll have digital twins in these little metaverses where I'll have, uh, I'll, I'll sell, you know, box of, like, movie tickets there directly, so on the entertainment side, and Since I don't own the sport club, but I spend a big, big part in the digital transformation, I think every sports club uh, will be there. Now, the major question for sports is what will happen to broadcasting rights, uh, especially mm. big, yeah. big deals? Uh, because if if you can actually then broadcast uh, these also on the meta, 
uh, then it's going to be a very interesting question for the setup of UEFA, FIFA, NBA, etc., etc., etc. So that regulatory part, I don't know, but I'm sure each and every sports club will be on the metaverse at least with merchandising, at least with like fan engagement, etc., etc. Uh, broadcasting, billion dollar question, no clue. Uh, but my company is probably, hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll connect with Garrett after this. So we'll be one, one of the one, one of the one of the millimeters is like uh, my productions. So, so Mora, that's an interesting 2030 uh, picture. So we have uh, Garrett who said, "Okay, I'll be uh, I'll be underlying the 10,000 metaverses." Yeah, Dorok is within the entertainment space and sports space of these 10,000, right? What's your perspective on that? What's what's your play here, Morat? Well, as a researcher, uh, I think I will be doing research on one of the oldest industries. Think of CPGs, okay? Or think yeah. of your uh, dishwasher, the GEs, mm -hmm. or the Westinghouses of this world. They have a huge problem by connecting the, to the end customer because they usually have mm -hmm. the intermediary of the retailer and then they have to yeah. buy their data from that in order to understand customer behavior. Mm -hmm. And that creates uh, agency problems that creates transactional cost uh, economics inefficiencies. With this metaverse, all of these companies will have a presence so that they will be able to understand how their customer behaving much better And that is going to improve their supply chain efficiency, which all in North America today, we are expecting supply chain problems. And I will be doing research on the impact of metaverse on improving supply chain efficiencies. Fantastic. Fantastic. Kathy, any plans for the weekend? Uh, are you doing metaverse or are you doing offline? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a, I can't really share what it is, but I've got a really interesting demo. Uh, so I'm actually charging my Oculus Quest over here. Oh, um, yeah, so very intriguing. super secret demo that I'm getting. So I'm very excited. Well, Garrett, Dorog and Mehmet, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. We are, I know we are all busy about sharing lessons learned and creating this together, this new economy, mm -hmm. this new business. That's the intention of all this. Kathy, thank you so much for doing this with me. I appreciate it. And I'll see you all in the metaverse. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. This episode was brought to you by Upland and Decrypt Media, our go-to place for the latest Bitcoin and Ethereum news from Decrypt. Get the latest on cryptocurrency prices, breaking news, and more about Bitcoin and blockchain on Decrypt.co. Another quick reminder about our referral code for Upland, the Earth's metaverse where you can flip virtual properties, become a MetaVentures entrepreneur, or just connect with other like-minded players to rebuild the world together. Download Upland on iOS, Android, or web today using the referral link in the show notes and get a 6,000 UPEX sign-up bonus. Just a quick disclaimer, the information shared on this show is for entertainment purposes only. This is not investment advice. Thank you for joining us and see you in the metaverse.